NPR. This is The Indicator from Planet Money. I'm Darian Woods. And I'm Waylon Wong. We have just been loving the good economic news recently. The Federal Reserve staff is no longer forecasting a recession. GDP is healthy, 2.5%. And after months on the lookout for a possible recession, now it's almost like we can breathe again. Yes, but don't step down from that economic watchtower just yet. At the risk of being chicken little, we thought it would be worthwhile to take stock of those smoldering spots over there in the economy. You know, these things that could still spell trouble. Waylon, you and I have both picked topics that we've heard a bit of nervous chatter about. Yep, we each did our research and we are presenting our findings to each other for the first time on this episode. Mock a break, that's after the break. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Babson College. Discover Babson College's Master of Science and Management in Entrepreneurial Leadership Program, an intensive nine-month journey that equips recent college graduates with practical skills for today's dynamic business landscape. Tackle real-world challenges and emerge with a problem-solving mindset. Whether you choose to start your own business or innovate within a corporation, a master's from Babson will help launch your career forward. Apply today at babson.edu slash msleader. This message comes from Apple Card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase. That's 3% on products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. What could break in the economy? Waylon, what is it? And should I be worried? I'm here to give a little primer on something called the private credit market. It's the kind of word that I like to think that I know about. It's like I know what all those words mean in isolation. (laughs) Put together, not sure. (laughs) Well, private credit comes out of the world of leveraged buyouts. Uh And, you know, this is when a private equity firm acquires a company in hopes of growing it or turning it around, eventually resulting in a big payday. And these are particularly popular in the 80s, right? Exactly. And then they had a moment again more recently. And private equity firms finance their deals by borrowing money, but the debt ends up on the balance sheet of the companies they are buying. And it's important to note that these loans are considered riskier. And there are different places that lend out the money to make these deals happen. One of these places is the private credit industry. So these are lenders that operate outside of the traditional banking system, so they're not regulated by the usual agencies. Chris Paget follows this industry for the credit ratings firm Moody's Investor Service. What we have found over the last several years is there is a huge opportunity to borrow in a very private way that doesn't require the SEC or the Federal Reserve or the FDIC, and yet you can have access to a fair amount of lending. Okay, an unregulated dark corner of the finance industry. What could go wrong? What could go wrong? And you might be wondering, okay, so who's loaning out this money, right? Sure. And what Chris told me is that the lenders in the private credit market are investment funds. 
They raise money from institutional investors like pension funds, insurance companies, university endowments, and that's the money that gets loaned out. Mm. And Chris says this market grew around 10% a year over the last decade. She estimates it's over a trillion dollars today. That's trillion with a T, Darian. (laughs) Right. So when I say a corner of the financial market, we're talking like a, a big chunk of it. Yeah, and this growth was fueled by these last few years of near-zero interest rates. Companies could take on a lot of debt for cheap, and investors could get a bigger return by putting money in private credit funds. The interest rates are higher in this market because the companies are considered riskier borrowers. Okay, yeah, more risk, more return, hopefully. That's the idea, right? Yeah, but we all know that the uh, zero interest rate policy era (laughs) has drawn to a close pretty definitively. It is over. So that's what's making this market look a little vulnerable now. Right, you're a university endowment and you want to invest in something more boring and safe. Exactly. And also, if you are a company that borrowed this money, now your interest rates on your debt are going up. Chris says some of these companies might be seeing their debt service costs double. You take a company that's small and somewhat more vulnerable and you double their debt service. That's a pretty big concern. And then on top of that, Chris says that if economic growth slows as a result of the Fed hiking interest rates, that affects those companies' revenues, too. And then there's yet another wrinkle, which is that, remember, this market is private, meaning it operates outside of the regulated banking and financial systems. So Chris says it can be hard to get information about what's going on. It will take much longer before these problems, if there are big problems, emerge and are visible. Chris assured me that she doesn't see necessarily a wave of defaults coming, and that would be kind of your worst case, truly the sky's falling scenario. Mm. That being said, you know, there's a lot of pain that companies can experience before you get to something like a default. And that could result in, let's say, layoffs or contraction, which then, you know, is really bad for communities and for people who are employed by these companies. Yeah, bad for everybody. Exactly. Uh, So that's my downer. Uh, Do you have another downer for us? Yeah, for our bad news doubleheader, we have commercial real estate. Uh Uh-oh. So with commercial real estate, you might think empty office buildings. But, you know, it's a broad category. It covers retail spaces, warehouses, or restaurant sites. But overall, you can imagine with the twin forces of rising interest rates plus online shopping and online working, this could be a sector prone to snapping. I mean, I'm reminded of this when I drive past the empty carcass of what used to be the big bed, bath and beyond in my town. Right. So I spoke to Erica Jung, who has modeled this very question. Erica is an assistant professor of finance and business economics at University of Southern California. So on a scale of zero to 10, zero being no worries at all to 10 being freak out right now. How worried are you? I would say commercial real estate distress is one of the biggest concerns going forward. And I would rank a six or seven. Oh, no, six or seven coming in hot. It is really looking particularly bad. And also for certain banks. Smaller and mid-sized banks tend to hold more commercial real estate loans on their balance sheet. Unlike home loans, these commercial loans have to be renegotiated every few years, meaning they'll 
feel the pinch of these higher interest rates faster. Erica and her colleagues modelled some scenarios that showed dire outcomes for banks because of bad commercial real estate loans. Under certain assumptions, her calculation finds that roughly 300 banks out of over 4,000 in the U.S. could become insolvent. Is the idea that these smaller banks have so many commercial real estate loans on their portfolio that if the market goes kaput, that then the banks go kaput? That's what could happen. Well, that doesn't sound good. No. And I asked Erica about the wider economic implications, and she said that if we get these commercial real estate defaults, then a lot of banks would tighten up on all their lending. And so, say, a small business that relied on these smaller mid-sized banks might have to hire less people. Mm -hmm. And we saw how all kinds of banks froze up and got skittish when Silicon Valley Bank collapsed. So, you know, this never happens in a vacuum. So you can see how it would become hard to get auto loans or a mortgage. Mm. And another reason to worry came from real estate economist Arpit Gupta. Arpit is an associate professor of finance at New York University. One spillover area that is important to think about is the impacts on local governments. That's what opens up this prospect of an urban doom loop. I just, I just want to, I just want to pause you there. An urban doom loop. That that sounds pretty scary. So, that that refers to the possibility that the declines in property tax revenue coming from office buildings might lead to increases in tax rates elsewhere. This might contribute to the urban exodus that we know cities have already been experiencing because locals are experiencing worse government amenities or higher tax rates that may encourage them to leave cities in greater numbers, which then compounds the problem of urban uh, finances. Oh, no. I have to say that urban doom loop is the scariest economic term I've heard in a while. So this is different from a bomb that explodes the economy per se. This is about fiscal malaise for cities. You know, it might be that it's actually good for suburbs, but bad for downtowns. Arpit raised the example of San Francisco. It's kind of the tip of the spear here. In San Francisco, about a third of their offices are vacant, and that is very bad for the city's finances. I'm picturing that huge Salesforce tower that looks like the yes. tower of um, <laughs> Sauron from Lord of the Rings, just sitting there empty. Yeah, and, and you can visualize it. I'm just picturing Taxi Driver from the 1970s, right? <laughs> Wait, is that the future we're headed towards? I actually asked him about this. He said maybe, like, this is not like a complete flight of affluent families to the suburbs. This is them going to the suburbs, you know, for three days remote work and then coming in for two. So, I don't know, maybe three-fifths of the 1970s, you know. Flared jeans, but, you know, not as flared as they might have been in the 1970s. A gentle flare? A gentle flare, some light disco pop, but not, you know, full cocaine disco... <laughs> We ended up in a weird place. <laughs> this episode was produced by Brittany Cronin with engineering by Neil Rauch. It was fact-checked by Sierra Juarez. Kate and Cannon edits the show and the indicators are production of NPR. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Humana. Your employees are more than your coworkers. They're the heartbeat of your business. That's why Humana offers modern group benefits designed to protect employees and their families with dental, vision, life, and disability coverage. Humana knows every employee and every business is unique. That's why they listen to your needs and build plans with you and your team in mind. That's the power of human care. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Online. Is your child asking questions on their homework you don't feel equipped to answer? IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. 
One subscription gets you everything. One site for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And NPR listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com NPR. What does it mean to be Black in America? In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as the Black experience, you'll hear it means everything. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts.